Beware the barrenness of a busy life, Socrates. Hey friends, welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. It's a new year. It's a new decade. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about how to prioritize the important in a world where everything is urgent. Everything needs our attention right now. I want to start with a story about 12-year-old Cynthia. Cynthia was absolutely ecstatic because her dad had planned this epic night in San Francisco. They had planned it down to every intricate detail and they'd been planning for months. The night was going to start first with Cynthia meeting her dad at the convention center where he was speaking. They would meet promptly at 4.30, then they'd catch a trolley car to Chinatown, eat Chinese food, shop for souvenirs, see the sights, catch a flick, as her dad liked to say, and then after the movie, they'd catch a taxi back to the hotel where they'd go for a swim in the swimming pool, order a hot fudge sundae from room service, and watch the Late Late Show in their room. After going over these details over and over in her mind, there was so much anticipation for little Cynthia. Everything had been going according to plan until her father runs into an old college friend as he's leaving the convention center. It had been years since he's seen this person. Cynthia watches as they embrace with excitement, and she listens closely as the friend tells her dad, I'm so glad you're doing business with our company now. We want to invite you and, of course, Cynthia to get this spectacular seafood dinner down at the wharf. Cynthia hears this and she watches her father and her father says, Bob, it's so great to see you. Dinner at the wharf sounds great. And Cynthia's heart breaks. Her daydreams of trolley rides and ice cream sundaes, they just evaporate as she hears those words leave her dad's mouth. But then her dad continues, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date night planned. And he looks at Cynthia, he winks at her, grabs her hand, and they run out the door for an unforgettable night in San Francisco. In that moment, Cynthia's father chose the important over the urgent. Although going to dinner with his old friend would have been good, Cynthia's dad opted for best. Cynthia's dad happened to be Dr. Stephen Covey, author of the now famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this was a story Cynthia would later tell after her dad passed away. Dr. Covey's decision in that moment meant the world to Cynthia But I personally believe, I believe that decision was made not at the convention center, not in that moment. I believe that decision was made long before in a quiet place when Dr. Covey sat down, got quiet and reflected on his life, thought about his values, thought about what was important. That time spent thinking and reflecting and considering gave Dr. Covey a compass that provided clarity in a world filled with endless options, social pressure urgent obligations. Much of what I have learned and will now share during this episode today comes from Dr. Covey's work. I first want to ask you to picture four quadrants or four squares, whatever you want to call it for those like me who didn't do well in geometry or algebra, calculus, whatever subject covered quadrants in school. There's a reason I went to law school, guys. In the left, top left quadrant, quadrant one, are those activities that are both urgent and they're important. This is the crisis. This is the pressing matter. A family member suddenly has an illness or your child gets sick or your boss gives you a tight deadline. 
Many of us live in quadrant one, the top left. We're like professional firefighters. We're constantly putting out fires. We may start our day with a list of priorities that are important to us, but then at the end of the day, we haven't touched any of them. And that's not the end of it. When you're really good at putting out fires, you get promoted, you get praise, and then guess what? People start to bring you more fires to put out, more complicated problems, and we continue to live in quadrant one. And then in the top right quadrant, this is quadrant two. This is the quadrant that we want to spend the most time in. These are those activities that are important, but they're not urgent. These are things like building relationships, engaging with a family member, writing a personal mission statement, long-range planning, journaling, exercising, preventative maintenance, preparation. Successful people live in quadrant two. That term successful, it gets thrown around all the time. But when I say successful, I'm referring to a person who has personal integrity. In other words, if we look closely at this person's life, there would be alignment between their actions and their deepest values. They keep their own commitments. They walk their talk. Think of quadrant two like investing money. When we make consistent small deposits in the important areas of life over time, it produces incredible results. Those family dinners, those lunches with your spouse, date nights, playing with your children, going to the gym, going for a walk, making a budget, setting aside just a little bit of money each month, reading 30 minutes a night. These small, consistent investments, they may not be dramatic, they may not be flashy, but over time, brick by brick, these build healthy relationships, strong marriages, thriving and confident children, a healthy body, more energy, confidence, financial margin, personal growth. The opposite is also true. When we neglect the important, we often don't see the negative impact right away. The scale doesn't immediately go up. Our kids don't immediately become less secure. Our spouse doesn't immediately leave us. But over time, one small neglect after another, all of a sudden we wake up and we wonder, hey, how did my blood pressure get so high? Hey, why is my relationship with my child not close? Why is my spouse all of a sudden unhappy? And then all of a sudden, we're back in quadrant one. These important things that we neglected that weren't urgent, now all of a sudden they're urgent and they're important. These are examples that come to mind in my life when I think about the important things of life. But I have a question for you. What are the most important things to you? I don't know all the answers, obviously. But I have found that the more time I spend in quiet, thoughtful reflection about what matters, the more clarity I have. And my hope and my prayer for you is that in this crazy, busy world, in your busy life, that you will give yourself permission to set aside some time on your calendar to get quiet, to find solitude, to be alone, and then ask yourself questions, probing questions, and then listen to the answers. What's important to you? What do you truly value? What is one thing that you could add to your life that if you did it consistently, it would make a tremendous positive difference in your life? Listen to these answers, write them down, and then you know what matters. And then from there, once you know and understand what's important, the keys to living in quadrant two, I think, are pruning away the non-essential, having the courage to say no, and doing weekly planning. I'll come back to this in a second, but first let me talk about the bottom two quadrants, quadrants three and quadrant four. In the bottom left, that's quadrant three. In quadrant 
Three, these are those activities that are urgent, but they're not important. Stephen Covey, he calls this the quadrant of deception because the noise of the urgent creates this illusion of importance. But the actual activities themselves, if they're important at all, they're important to someone else. Interruptions, some phone calls that we get, some emails that we get, some meetings that we don't really have to attend, but we attend because of social pressure. Many of us spend a lot of time in quadrant three, meeting other people's priorities and expectations. And we think that we're really in quadrant one. We also live in a world where busy is a status symbol. Being busy means we're important. And if we're not busy, honestly, a lot of times we're embarrassed to admit it. But I've learned there's a big difference between being busy and being productive on the things that matter. Busy is also a good excuse to not stop and deal with the important things in our life. And finally, in the bottom right, this is quadrant four. These are those activities that are neither urgent nor important. This is the quadrant of waste. We should spend as very little time as possible here. But oftentimes we're so battle-hardened from being tossed around from quadrants one and three, dealing with the urgent, putting out fires, that we often escape to quadrant four. What's in quadrant four? Well, these are those, the, these are those activities that they're not really recreational because they don't recharge us. They often pull energy without giving us anything in return. It's like cotton candy. It looks and it feels nice at first, but then we realize there's nothing there. I'm not sure what this looks like for you, but I think the key is identifying these time wasters, being honest about them, and then labeling them for what they are so that we can eliminate them. Back to quadrant two. These are those activities that are important, but they're not urgent. How do we live in quadrant two? Again, I think it takes pruning away the non-essential, the courage to say no, and weekly planning. Let me talk real quick about pruning away. You've probably heard of the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule. This is a rule that says that 80% of the results on any given task come from only 20% of the efforts. The basic idea is that less can be more when we focus on the right activities. I love efficiency, but an efficiency mindset often leads to trying to cram more and more and more activities into the same time. What if instead of efficiency, the right goal is to eliminate and to be productive, to maximize our energy and relentlessly focus on the essential few instead of the trivial many? Instead of time management, what if we needed attention management? As Jim Collins has found, the undisciplined pursuit of more is often what leads to the collapse of even the best companies and institutions. With the internet and social media, we have more choices and more awareness of options than ever before. And this interconnectedness has also increased social pressure, and it's lowered the barrier for others to share their opinion about what we should be focusing on. We live in a world that also ignores trade-offs. We think that we can have it all. But to live a life focused in quadrant two, we have to eliminate and we have to prioritize. In fact, that word priority, it was singular when it first appeared in the English language back in the 1400s. It meant the very first or prior thing. And it stayed singular for 500 years until it was pluralized in the 1900s as priorities. How many of us have been in meetings or been part of organizations where there's 10 priorities at the same time? We often think that we can do everything and make everything a priority, often when nothing ends up being a priority. Australian nurse Bronnie Ware, she cared for people in the last 12 weeks of their lives and recorded their most often discussed regrets. And at the top of the list was this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life that was true to myself 
and not the life that others expected of me. If we don't prioritize our own life, someone else will. A big part of printing away the non-essential is remembering that you and I have the power to choose, no matter how we feel. As Greg McCowan says, the ability to choose cannot be taken away or given away. It can only be forgotten. As we prune, look to quadrants three and four. Those quadrant three activities, those activities that are urgent, but they're not important. The key is to either delegate, reschedule, or say a polite no. If it's an urgent task that's important to someone else, ask yourself, is there someone else that would be better suited to handle this? If so, delegate it. Empower other people when you can. Or is it something that can wait until later? Can it, can it be rescheduled? Maybe it seems urgent, but maybe it's not really urgent. Or maybe you have to just politely decline because saying yes means that you're likely trading something that's important for something that's urgent but unimportant. And then for those quadrant four activities, the key is just to eliminate these. They're neither important nor urgent. So as you prune away, what you do is you create margin for quadrant two. And what's so cool is the more time that you spend in quadrant two on those important, non-urgent things, the less time you end up spending in quadrant one. As you plan, as you anticipate, as you stop procrastinating, as we do more preventative maintenance, all of a sudden this list of urgent things becomes smaller and smaller. But pruning away, we know, requires courage. The courage to say no to the many good things in pursuit of the best. The enemy of the best is often the good. But saying no can be tough. If you're like me, you fear missing out. You're scared maybe you're going to rock the boat. You don't want to stir things up. You don't want to burn bridges. We can't bear the thought of disappointing someone we respect or like. We're worried about the impact on a relationship. But keep in mind that we are always saying no to something. If it isn't the urgent things in life, it's probably the more fundamental, highly important things. Often the key to saying no is to have a bigger yes burning inside of us. We often fear that we're letting others down. Healthy people, though, often respect when we have boundaries. I remember when I was a military prosecutor, when I first became a military prosecutor, one of my big fears was how demanding that schedule was going to be. I knew it was important work. I knew the hours were long for good reason, but I worried about how that would impact my family. I had a young daughter. We had to get her to bed at 7.30 each night. I knew that if I didn't leave at a certain time of day, I would have less than an hour, potentially, or no time with my daughter. And I would have limited time with my wife. So my wife and I, we talked about it. We made a decision. We're going to set this specific time every day. That's going to be a, really a no-compromise time that you leave. With the help of my wife, every day around that time, I would do this walk of shame. I would kind of lower my head or I'd sneak out the door. I would try to, so no one would see me because I felt this guilt because I was one of the only people that were leaving at that time of day. But over time, I started to see that by compressing my schedule, I was more efficient during the day. I was more productive. I created kind of this false deadline for myself. And then I also noticed that at the end of that time in that job, after two years of being a prosecutor, I, I met with my boss and I remember thinking how much over, over those years I worried about the perception of me leaving early. But she brought that up as one of the things that she respected the most. She respected the fact that I had boundaries and I stuck to it. Sometimes we think, we worry that we're going to impact a relationship, but often people end up respecting us more. Saying no also doesn't have to involve the word no. 
You can give a graceful no. You can say something like, I'm flattered. Hey, I'm flattered that you thought of me, but I'm afraid I don't have the bandwidth. Or thank you so much for the invite, but we have other plans. And those plans don't have to be anything crazy. It can literally just be you and your family have set aside time just to spend as a family. Or you've set aside time to go to the gym. Or you've set aside time to meditate, to pray, to think, to read. And say you're at work and your boss tries to give you a task. One thing that you can do, it's kind of a polite no, is to ask your boss, say, I understand this is, a, this is something you're, you're giving me, you want me to do this. I just want to clarify for you. I've got a couple of things on my plate. These are things that either you've given or are important for the organization. Where does this thing that you're now giving me, where does that fit in the order of priority? Because sometimes it, it, for your boss or your leader, it may not understand everything that they've already given you. They may have forgotten all of those other things. And so what you're doing is you're now asking them to help you prioritize. Sometimes when your boss sees that, they may say, okay, actually, I'm going to give this to someone else. I see that you have all of these other important tasks that I've given you. Or they may help you prioritize so in that moment you can say no to things that are less important. Another thing I love that I, that I got from Andy Stanley, and this is something that him and his family use, is they use this phrase internally in their family. They say, no for now, but not forever. No for now, not forever. And I think what I gleaned from Andy as he was talking about this is that sometimes in his family, there were certain categories during certain seasons that were just no. Maybe it was a season of life where they were busy raising their kids. And it was just a categorical no to playing golf on the weekends. Or maybe maybe you, maybe you're a busy student right now and you are tempted to go commit to extracurricular activities because you feel that social pressure. But maybe for you, it needs to be a no for now, but not forever. Maybe this year you're going to focus on your grades. So it's a no for now, but maybe not, not for next year. It takes courage to do this in a FOMO world. But the short-term pain of saying no to the good is far better than a feeling of regret when you say no to the best. Imagine if Cynthia's dad hadn't had the courage to say no to that kind, fun invitation to a seafood dinner in San Francisco. And then a final key to spending your life in quadrant two focused on the important non-urgent activities that lead to a life of maximum fulfillment is to deliberately plan quadrant two activities. You can find whatever works for you, but I prefer, personally, weekly planning by making sure that the most important tasks are first on my calendar. It takes me less than 30 minutes. I like to do it on a Sunday right before the week begins. I use my Google Calendar. I just hop on my laptop and I insert the things that are most important for me to accomplish that week. The Google Calendar then syncs to my phone. I know the guy who spent you know, multiple episodes bashing technology is here promoting technology. I get it. And then you think about different categories in your life. You know, you are a, maybe you're a father, maybe you're a professional, you're a husband, or you can think about it in a different way. Maybe think about it in terms of your health, your relationships, your mental health, your spiritual health. So for example, take the category of health. You may list regular trips to the gym, time for walking or running, time to plan your meals for the week, or for relationships, maybe you're scheduling meal time with friends or family, time for phone calls, a date with a significant other, or for your mental or spiritual health, maybe you want to schedule time to journal, time to pray, time to meditate, time to read. 
You can do the same for your professional life. These are those important but not urgent tasks that if we do them consistently, little by little over time, it's going to produce incredible results. So take those tasks, put them on your calendar each week, and then watch as each day when you start the day, you can look and say, okay, this is my top priority today. And then create some white space around those, those items so that they don't get overrun by the urgent. But the key is just find what works for you. I personally find that for me, getting up early, and I've talked about this before, getting up early really helps me do a lot of those tasks that are important, non-urgent, that are harder to do during the day. Praying, reading, meditating, working out, just being quiet, working on things for this podcast. A lot of times I do that before 8 a.m. I get up at 4.45, I either go to the gym or go to Starbucks, I'm there by five, and then I don't do that every day, let's be honest. But most days, most weekdays, I do that and it allows me to create space for those important, non-urgent tasks. So let's do a quick review. The goal is to prioritize the important over the urgent. Find some white space on your calendar to do some soul searching. Discover what's most important to you. If you don't decide, know that someone else will. And then once we've identified those, those truly important tasks, the goal is to prioritize those. Make those your true priorities. Live in quadrant two. This requires discipline. It requires knowing that these small investments over time are going to lead to dramatic results. We live in quadrant two by pruning away the non-essential, having the courage to say no, and it does take courage, and doing a weekly planning session where we put those important tasks on the calendar. Doing these things leads to a focused life in a world where we know we have endless options, thousands of definitions of success, but find what's truly deep in your heart and do that. And just like Cynthia's dad, Dr. Covey, know that the work that we do in that quiet place, it's going to give us courage. It's going to give us a compass to choose the best over the good. As always, I want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for listening today. Thank you so much for your time. I sincerely appreciate it. Also, thank you to each of you that encourages me, that reaches out to me. Thank you for, to those that have left a rating and review on iTunes. That means so much to me. As I close this out, I want to leave you with a few lines from an article that was written by Colonel Mark Bloom. I'll post the whole thing on my website if you want to read it. My wife and I took our daughter to college a week ago. She's our last child to leave the house as our son has been in college for a couple of years now. And it seems a little empty right now. Phone calls and email will be poor substitutes for kitchen conversations. And it's difficult to envision exactly what she's doing with whom through a phone line. I suppose we'll have to get used to her being grown up. But I still remember the little girl who loved gymnastics and didn't like to play with dolls. As I look back, I wonder what I might have done differently if I had known everything I know now. The Army's a great place to raise a kid, but I think I'd make a few changes given the chance. For instance, I remember a Thanksgiving in Germany as a major when I worked through the day and all night, only going home for an hour to wolf down some Thanksgiving dinner and then going back to work again. I don't even remember what the subject was. I now know it wasn't important enough to miss Thanksgiving with my family. There are a lot of good reasons to spend time with your family and far fewer good reasons not to. I've been in the field on my share of birthdays and holidays. There's not too much that we can do about that. Still, here's what I'd change. I'd leave work every day by 1800 at 6 p.m. If at all possible, and earlier if I could, I'd save less money and have more fun. I'd make it a priority for them to see their grandparents more often, regardless of where we lived. 
I'd be more selective about the social engagements I accepted, even if it was expected that I attend. I'd pay more attention to which teachers my children had and less attention to the grades they made. I'd be more help on school projects and less irritated when they brought me one at the last minute. I'd go to all the PTA meetings, not just some, and every sports game they played. I'd leave more problems at work, and when I walked through the door at night, I'd be more absorbed in their worlds. I'd throw a Frisbee more often with the kids and do less yard work. I'd spend less time cleaning the house and more time messing it up, doing fun stuff. Friends, let's choose the important today and every day. Life is short. Let's make it count.